I'm more excited to be talking to you about task management. You are going to love it. We have to accept that tech is coming into the world and we have to prepare our, our pupils for the real world. This method is really a game-changing way of invigilating, to be honest. Welcome to the Surpass Community Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Surpass Assessment Community Podcast. My name is Tim Burnett and today we're going to be talking about transitioning from physical to virtual item writing workshops. I'm joined by three guests today. My first guest is Nora Duffy. Nora is the Program Director and Credentialing Specialist working for the California Water Environmental Association. Nora has a proven track record of managing and executing strategies to achieve high-level goals for mission-based organizations. Nora is the perfect guest today for the podcast as she has a great deal of experience in planning and leading complex projects involving consultants, staff, and subject matter experts. And finally, I have to mention this because it is awesome. Nora recently received an ICE Next Gen Professional Award. Uh, this is a prestigious award for individuals that demonstrate a commitment to developing the skills necessary for success in the credentialing profession. Welcome, Nora. Thank you, Tim. It's great to be here. And also joining us, we have Amanda Danis. Amanda has a PhD in psychometrics and is CEO and lead psychometrician for Danis & Company, based in Virginia. In addition, Amanda is a lead assessor for the American National Standards Institute, specifically for ISO standard 17024. Welcome, Amanda. Thanks, Tim. Good to be here. Excellent. It's an absolute pleasure. And then last but not least, we have Chris Morrison. Uh, Chris is the Vice President Product Management for BTL Surpassing. Um, Chris has been working with myself for a long time now. He is heavily involved in the development of this pass assessment platform and over the years has played a pivotal role in the features we've developed with the Surpass community. Chris has also very recently relocated from our UK office to our USA office. So welcome, Chris. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So let's go straight into the questions. Um, I suppose just to give people context uh, for the, the conversation about moving to from physical to uh, virtual. Amanda, could you set the kind of context as to briefly explain what test development is and the role of the SME in that process? Sure, Tim. Um, especially in the certification development process, you really are involving your subject matter experts at every stage of the test development process. So whether it's the job task analysis in which you're using experts to come up with the competencies and the domains and the knowledges and skills and abilities needed to perform the job successfully, um, all the way through to setting the cut score of what is going to be that standard of minimal competence on that exam, um, you really are incorporating their expertise, their input, um, and their judgment along the way to help you design this test that can both be reliable, valid, and legally defensible, of course. Um, and it, traditionally, a lot of these processes take place in person. You have everybody, they come to a hotel uh, in a central area, you use it for networking, you have visiting, you have social events, and you incorporate all of this to be a part of the process so that you can build the test using your subject matter experts in a way that benefits them as well. Um, and so with the you know, current situation, I think everybody is kind of looking for ways to get around that face-to-face -face interaction, and, but still maintain the integrity of the test process. So they're, they're, they're pretty critical then in, in, in the, the item writing um, component. And like you said, there's, there is a, uh, almost like a social aspect to the whole process as well as the, the professional, isn't it? So I can imagine it might be quite 
a different sense, I suppose, when you go virtual. So, Nora, just in terms of, you know, with the ongoing pandemic um, and the social fallout we're going to have from this, do you think it's wise for organisations to start thinking about moving towards the virtualization of their test development process? Absolutely. Um, I know at CWA, most of our SMEs are considered essential workers right now um, by the national and state guidelines in the U.S., um, but even for them, we anticipate that their travel budgets may be reduced or restricted for some time, um, even after this is all over. So um, everyone's going to be looking to keep their costs down, both credentialing bodies and the volunteer pools that they're pulling from. Um, and additionally, I think during this time, people have come to sort of get used to and appreciate the ease and convenience of virtual platforms. So I think it's going to be the new normal moving forward. Yeah, I think a lot of people are, are waking up to that idea that this isn't just a short-term temporary thing, isn't it? This is going to have some uh, quite significant impacts going on further on down the line. I was on a, an ATP CEO panel discussion, and I think everyone recognized there that um, in a way, the, although people don't want to see it as a good thing, because this is obviously set around quite a, a horrible um, global instant, it actually might to start to kickstart some things that a lot of people have been talking about or wanting to do for some time. Um, so Amanda, just in terms of, you know, obviously people are going to be making these, these changes. Um, is moving from a physical item writing workshop to a virtual workshop as simple as just sending out a Zoom meeting request instead of, you know, what would have the invitations that would have gone out before? Um, I wish that it was, uh, but it's a little bit more complex than that. Um, you know, you really have to do a lot of air traffic control in an item writing process, whether that's with a consultant or with using in-house staff. And moving from in-person to virtual really just takes a really uh, strong plan ahead of time to be able to do maybe a kickoff Zoom meeting. You also would need to decide if you want to do this with everybody's doing it at the same time, they've blocked off a day and they're going to check in periodically via Zoom, or are you giving them assignments, sending them off on their own to do homework um, and come back in a couple of weeks? That usually involves a little bit of uh, staying on top of them and prodding because, of course, most of them are doing this on a volunteer aspect in addition to their full-time positions. So it does take a lot of planning, a lot of um, outcome man management. You want to look at your ideal item bank at the end and figure out how many items you need to write what areas of content they need to cover, which experts you need to use, how available are they, how technically savvy are they? That's another question to consider at this point. So there's a lot of, of those planning variables that go into place. And it is great to have, obviously, um, a really good item writing platform that just streamlines the process and maintains the integrity fairly efficiently. Uh, yeah, so it's a technology, but it's also a, a people and planning aspect to it as well. Do you think there's a lot more planning in, involved in virtual sessions than maybe in a kind of physical workshop? Actually, yes. I mean, I, I, you know, it's not that we don't do a lot of planning when we're doing an in-person workshop, um, but that's a little bit more of an organic process where you are really kind of planning your day based around how fast this first session moves and how fast the second session moves. And if they hit a hiccup and it leads to a half an hour discussion on one, you know, certain type of item or using a different type of scenario, um, that is more of a flexible schedule. Whereas this is really a little bit more rigid in keeping to your timeline and making sure that your SMEs are able and you give them the tools 
to be able to meet the deadlines that you've set forth. So um, it is a little bit more rigid, I would think. Okay, so a bit more of a structured process. So I suppose question to both yourself, Amanda and Nora as well. Who fares better in this kind of process? A new SME who, or SME, um, that's a little uh, English to American uh, <laughs> Um who fares better, SME with no history of the process um, or someone who's got, already has a reasonable degree of experience in the, the process? So uh, my initial response is if you plan well enough, it doesn't really matter. All the SMEs are created equal at that point. Um, but I don't work as closely with the SMEs as perhaps Nora does. Maybe she has a different take on it. Yeah, I would say I agree with that generally. Um, but if you do have a SME that's been with your specific program for a long time and maybe we're um, used to doing things a certain way, I think taking time to touch base with them at the start of the project and sort of highlighting the benefits of this new process and um, asking them to give you their feedback along the way, it can it can help ease that transition for them. Because I suppose sometimes people you know, can get stuck in not stuck in their ways, but they're used to something. They've, especially if, like you say earlier, you know, it's there's quite a, a social aspect to it. Um, yeah, they, they might feel as though they're missing out on some of the other benefits that have been in place in previous meetings. So, yeah, it could be quite a bit of a a, a different leap from. So, just in terms of technology, because obviously, going virtual means using technology in various different ways to manage the process. Um, do you think that non-techy SMEs are going to cope um, uh, won't cope as well as um, those which are a little bit more tech savvy? You know, is there a, a generational gap? Is there anything you need to consider in terms of uh, someone's background as part of it? And uh, Amanda, do you want to go first on that one? Sure. Um, and we we've dealt with this even with in-person workshops because even when we're in person, we can use a platform such as Surpass. We can use um, you know, we've, we've got some other platforms that we've used before, or even we've gone old school and done Word documents on flash drives. And we've even had some SMEs do some handwritten things that then we later on transcribe. I really think it's all about matching your process to the SME. So even though I was talking before about the timeline and the overall project guidelines being more rigid, what has to be still flexible is how you're going to get the expertise and the input from the SME in the least painful way possible for that SME. And whether that's you doing a little bit of handholding at the beginning to help them use a platform, you know, the Surpass platform is super user-friendly. It's one reason why I like it so much. For the SMEs, there's not a big learning curve there. Um, but if they still are not comfortable with that, we will go old school and let them just type it into an email or type it into a Word document and send it to us, and then we'll enter it into the system. So it's really all about not making it painful for them. You want them to be engaged. You want them to be sort of the ambassadors for your program. They need to have a positive interaction, um, and they need to be able to want to do it again, right? Whether that's reviewing items or next time you do an item refresh, that they still want to be involved, especially if they're they're a good item writer you don't want mm. technology to, to be a barrier to that and i suppose that's the same one with candidates isn't it in the test you moving them from paper where they might be actually quite comfortable to an online testing environment um you, you don't want them to be disadvantaged if they're 
uh, if yeah, the, the environment they were in before was actually the more of a comfortable space, wasn't it? And it's, it is about comfort. Nora, what do, you, what do you think in terms of the, the technology? Is there a potential that technology could actually be a barrier to, to some of the SMEs? Yeah, I think it really does all come down to what platform you're using. Um, you know, I think we all know people well into their 80s that can answer a FaceTime call, no problem. Um, but we've, you know, we've lost people along the way if um, there was a particularly complicated sign-in process or they had to create an account for something um, or, a, you know, the, there's a spreadsheet that's overly complex that they struggle with. So it, it's like what Amanda said, you have to meet them halfway. Um, and I think um, communication is really important for that, making sure that they feel comfortable reaching out to you um, or the program manager to let people know when they're having issues um, and especially in a virtual process, checking in with them and making sure that you're helping them either overcome that or come up with an alternate um, way to do the work because that's really what matters. And, and I think when you're in a physical space, you can obviously see from people's frustrations, uh, their eyebrows um, creasing that they might be you know, encountering some kind of difficulty. But yeah, when you're all virtual, you might not necessarily pick that. Uh, and the last the last thing you want is to check in with someone on a deadline day and find out, oh, they never figured out how to yeah. log in. <laughs> so right. being able to, they just feel like they could reach out and ask a question. So, yeah. yeah. So I suppose being able to track their progress as much as possible is, is, is quite a key part of that. Um, mm -hmm. I think at the end of this, uh, this whole episode with the pandemic, anyone who, there can be very few people who can't use Zoom going forward. I think that's it's almost before, become the uh, staple means of uh, communication, hasn't it? Um, so given that everyone's going to have to start looking at some form of virtualization of their item writing process, how would you both Nora and Amanda recommend that they, they kind of get started? You know, is it going is is to take longer in terms of process? Does it, is it going to cost more? Uh, how would you recommend they start preparing? Um, so from speaking, speaking from personal or sorry, speaking from professional perspective of things that have happened recently with some of my clients, um, I think the thing not to underestimate is the complexity of the process. So you're not talking about just somebody emailing you some questions and then you're just going to submit it to your delivery provider. You're talking about really to maintain the integrity of that test and the legal defensibility. There's a review process. You need to track your versions. You need to track your revisions. You should have multiple reviewers across different sub-industries, sub-sectors of the industry to make sure that the, that the question is not biased towards one, even like a geographic region or that's not using terminology that's not familiar to everyone. All these kind of little nuances need to be tracked and maintained. So how are you going to do that? Whether it's you are, you have a lot of time on your hands because you're at home and not working in the office, maybe you can manage it in a spreadsheet. Um, but maybe you really do need a platform. And so then I think one of the first things to do is to figure out your complexity and then go find your methodology. How are you going to do this to make it easy and not super complicated at the end, either for the SMEs or for you? Um, and once you figure out that kind of methodology that you want to use, the overarching one, then that will really drive some other programmatic decisions, such as how long is this going to take? How many hours of our time, internal staff, is this going to take? How many subject matter experts do I need? Um, but it's that really that kind of methodology that's going to drive those other questions. So it, would, it, would it cost more for, 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 you know, in terms of going virtual? Is, there, is it cheaper? Not necessarily, because um, it depends on how much time it takes. <laughs> so yeah. 
it's, you know, we it definitely takes more time. Yeah. I mean, it definitely takes more internal staff time or consultant time, however you're doing it, whether it's, it's an, I would say Nora and our, it's a combo, right. Of our team and your mm-hmm. team, because you're really, um, you don't have a captive audience for two days, two or three days. And we've done that before in LA and it was great. Um, and then we've done it virtually too with Nora's group and we have great SMEs and they're super committed, but again, they're working full time and doing other stuff. And we're like, Hey, you know, you have those three items. Hey, did you review those items? So it's a much longer calendar wise process. Um, so it, that's the cost issue. I mean, it, you know, depending on if you're, if you're paying for travel costs for your SMEs, then you're saving on that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there's, there's some trade-offs for that. So Nora, did you have anything to add? Sorry, I kind of took over that question. No, I think we found that it pretty much evens out. Um, we probably have a little bit of cost savings towards the virtual side when all is said and done at the end of a project. So it's not necessarily suddenly the, the cheaper option. Um, yeah, it's going to take it's going to take longer. It's going to take more of. Is it does it take more of your time to to keep people moving along, Nora? Do you know? Do you find yourself having to spend more time just um, you know poking people to, to kind of make sure that they're they're on track? Yeah, I think staying connected with the SMEs um, is definitely takes more effort in a virtual process, and it's even more critical um, when you're doing in person. There is a lot of sort of initial recruitment and set up for the workshop and making sure everyone um, has their travel plans in order. But then, you know, that's a very concentrated time period. And then you have the workshop and you're, you're done with some, you know, maybe some limited follow-up. Um, but like Amanda said, this is a, a process that can go on over weeks into months and you have to make sure that you're carrying all those SMEs along with you throughout the process. Yeah. Okay. And what about technology? Do you, you know, in terms of choosing communication platforms for, uh, for virtualization, you know, what would you would you just switch to Zoom? I know Amanda, you, you've used Zoom quite a lot, but you know, do you go with what the SMEs want, what the organization you're working with wants? What kind of choices do you make? Uh, it's a combination. So we cor- our corporate account is with Zoom. We've used it forever. We're a completely virtual company, so we use it constantly and always have. Um, and now, you know, with the current situation, I think a lot of people are much more. Um, accustomed to Zoom. They're using it for everything from staff meetings to happy hours uh, to their kids, you know, are learning online via Zoom. So I think moving forward, Zoom seems to be a sort of standard, you know, there's still Skype for business. Um, There's still just picking up the phone and calling people, you know, if there's, there's old school ways to do it for people who are like, I don't really want another account on something or Mm. I read about Zoom, I don't want to do it or, you know, whatever. Again, it all comes down to sort of adapting to what that SME needs because you really are just trying to get that content out of their brains um, and onto your tests in a way that is efficient. Um, but I would say too, we work with our clients. If the client is like, well, we use this platform and our members are really familiar with it. This is what we use. Then we obviously would use that. Whatever's going to cause the least amount of wrinkles in the process. Okay. Okay. So uh, what tips would you both uh, suggest to SME selection in the, the kind of virtual space? It, you know, does, does it change who you pick for the, you know, in terms of your SMEs? It shouldn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, ideally based on the certification, the way certification is, is, is built is built on that competence in the job sector, right? So if tech savviness doesn't really have much to do with your job performance or the subject matter expertise, 
it really should not bias your opinion about whether you're going to select them or not. Might you have a SME who says, this is just weird. I don't want to do it. I know I signed up for it, but I, I, you know, it's too weird for me. Um, obviously there's only so much pushing you can do on that, but ideally you would want to, again, adapt and be able to use everybody that you would normally. Um, but Nora has done more of the recruitment um, on her client side. So maybe she can speak more to that. Um, yeah, I think that's true. I think if you have a good SME that has the experience you're looking for, you want to do everything you can to get them on board um, and, and meet them halfway with the technology. Um, I also think it's critical to be upfront with potential SMEs as you're recruiting them about the time estimates involved. Um, as we were saying, a virtual process can take longer. You're asking the SMEs to manage their own time for the most part uh, to get the various assignments done on time. And we all know it's more challenging when you have the distractions of like home life and your day job carrying on um, throughout all that. So I think just letting them know what, exactly what's going to be involved and how much time they should expect to put in is really important. So it's, uh, just jumping back then, just in terms of just back on the technology side of things, when you're when you're running the you do you kind of have breakout spaces as part of your, your session? So do you speak to everyone? And then do people break off into smaller groups is that something you might do we, we do that uh, in-person workshops also so we have a big group meeting where we need to do things overall we have an agenda um, that involves everyone and then they might break out into groups whether it has to do with expertise and domain area or types of items that they're writing or where they are in the item writing process we have some people who are better at writing and some people who are better at just reviewing and we might split them up as that as well so when we do things virtually we also might have subgroups depending on how many SMEs we're working with as a whole and we might have a you know zoom kind of check-ins you know periodically which actually i recommend across the board whether you have subgroups or not but some check-ins, some let's talk about this, you know, or I've flagged this item in the surpass platform as being a good discussion item. So this is one that we're going to talk about as a group next week when we have our check-in. Um, so you're not just meeting as a group, giving them homework and ignoring them for a long time. And then like Nora said, you check in on the deadline day and oops, you know, yeah. people had a problem. But you also get a little bit of that social interaction because I know a lot of SMEs have a great time at these workshops because they get to debate and they get to talk about hot topics in the industry. Um, and so having those little Zoom check-ins are really good to keep them engaged and allow that social interaction to happen. And yeah, it'd be hard to imagine a project where you wouldn't have any sort of need to, to subgroup the SMEs mm. together. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Would you, in terms of how many people you get together as part of a meeting, um, is there any kind of limitation that you would suggest there? Because obviously, you know, platforms can support, I know teams can support up to 250. You wouldn't right. want 250 people sat talking to each other, would you? No. <laughs> I mean, I could see Jimmy. Be... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Nora. Oh. Um, I was just going to say, I think roughly the same rules would apply as, as when you're in person, you know, there's probably that same ideal grouping, um, I'd say translates to virtual pretty well. Um, but in a virtual platform, just like in person, you have to make sure that you're giving every voice a chance to be heard. Um, anytime you can get a group of professionals together, there can sometimes be one or two dominant voices in the group. So, um, it's, I think it's up to whoever is, is managing the process to do their best to make sure everyone um, gets a chance to speak up. So and that effort needs to be a little bit bigger virtually, I would think, because I think that the people who are normally the bigger talkers um, 
will do so more easily on a virtual platform than even the people who are kind of quiet in person, but maybe they would speak up, but then on a Zoom platform, you might not hear from them at all. Um, so, so that's even more of an, you know, sort of a round robin approach of getting everybody to, to contribute and making sure that their voices are heard. So that's important. So this, on, the, on the subject then of, of voices, you know, politics and personal opinion can be a, a kind of common place when the item writing process, you know, obviously depending on the industry. Will the virtual process kind of exacerbate the issue of, of people, you know, having these strong opinions, you know, arguments, et cetera, you know, can that be overcome? You know, is, it, is there a process to that? Go ahead, Nora, you have a good answer for this one. <laughs> um, well, I find that those types of conversations or arguments um, tend to be worse in person. You have more, you know, people's egos and personalities coming into play more strongly. Um, if you're working with a good psychometrician, like Amanda and her team are really great about this. Um, you know, they're always on the lookout for sort of bias and personal opinion coming in. And, um, you know, they, they're tracking that whether it's in person or remotely. Okay, so in some ways, well, I wouldn't say all the problems go away. There's probably other problems that are introduced, aren't they? But um, people maybe are just there's less uh, less showmanship going on, in the, as you would get in the physical space. So we we kind of talk through the the kind of guys just before we kind of come on to the kind of the final tips that you would kind of suggest about um, going virtual. Chris, you've been obviously is the kind of one of the specialists on the on the SPAS team. You've been listening to this. What? How could SPAS help people make that transition from you know physical to an item, uh, a virtual item writing process? Uh, well, I guess with SPAS, we've kind of always tried to be quite flexible. So different models for different organisations been able to pick up and apply the functionality to the way that they work, and that's true as well of the item writing process. So whether people have kind of used a like a longer term like longer time scales uh you know bit by bit um SMEs just contributing items to a bank and it has a, a like a longer arc compared to people wanting to pick it up and do big in-person workshops um you know whether bringing together a culmination of you know a month's worth of people churning items and reviewing each other's so to try and uh, support each of those kind of models we've built in a few different functionalities so people can pick up item authoring, for example, and give more access to their SMEs there. You know, so there's workflow controls. So you're only allowing people to work with the items to which they should have access at the right time. Um, and you can then compare that to something that we've developed more recently, like our tasks kind of functionality, where you can just supply somebody just a package of work, like a quota of items to work on. So rather than having such flexibility within the item authoring part, they just fewer clicks to actually get going and be able to work on uh, reviewing or writing those items. So I think one of the the big barriers is remaining engaged when you're remote, when you have like an in-person face-to-face uh, scenario, um, you're kind of forced to, you know, work on those items. You, uh, you have to do it because you're there for that purpose. Whereas if you're doing your day job and you're trying to write items, review items at the same time as well, it's, Hey, the fewer barriers there are to actually logging in and start working, start reading that content, start developing your content. You want as few barriers as possible. You know, we're constantly aware of things like click fatigue. You know, how many clicks does it take you to log in and then get to where you need to be to be doing uh, the reviews or the writing that you need? So 
we didn't surpass that kind of uh, empathy for the user is really fundamental. And especially since there's going to be increasingly sort of remote activities, making sure that people aren't turned off by that. You know, it's probably difficult enough getting the numbers of items that you want for a quality bank anyway, without turning off, you know, several of your users by having a clunky system that it's difficult to navigate. So the usability aspect for us is kind of key to that really. So, I mean, and that's as well as all the kind of basic technical considerations, like the items are stored centrally on the internet so that you can authenticate, log in, and then everyone can see that stuff um, that is controlled by permissions and workflow so that not just anybody can come and look at the bank, you know, so we're kind of limiting that exposure when you're not controlling people within the same four walls. Mm -hmm. Amanda, you were just going to add something there, I think, were you? Yeah, I was just going to say, as far as choosing your platform or, or whatever method you use, even if it's Excel sheets or Word documents and flash drives or Basecamp or whatever you're going to use, surpass included, what is different between virtual and in-person is that in-person, if I'm, you know, using a platform with a group and I'm teaching them how to use the platform and there, if there is frustration and there is, you know, confusion and they don't want to do it and it takes a lot of time, if I'm in the same room with them, you know, then I can smile and I can make jokes and we can kind of make it this fun experience. We're going to learn together. It's going to be okay. If you have that kind of onboarding learning curve virtually, you're going to lose people. Mm. And this is the main reason why a platform uh, is really, really, really advantageous at this point, because you want something that they don't feel like, oh, this is something else I have to learn. You know, something, oh, this is too much. It's just going to take too much time. And they get frustrated and they quit. You want it to be as easy as possible, you know, perfectly intuitive. I hit the next button. Oh, look, here I am. Here's what my task is for today. Oh, I got assigned something new. I mean, it's so simple and straightforward, like surpassed that a, a platform like that is really essential for this process because you don't want to lose people before you even get started. No, and I suppose, it, it, like we said about the candidates taking the examinations, you, you want them, you don't want that technology to be the barrier to, to stop them from, you know, getting all their knowledge and information out uh, into the, into exactly. the uh, item writing yeah. space. And also security is really important. Um, you know, if an SME is struggling with um, the way you've sent it to them, if it's a spreadsheet or something, you know, we've had someone out of the blue just, you know, oh, I, I downloaded and printed it and now I'm scanning it back to you and sending it in an email or, or something like that. You don't want them coming up with their own workarounds that are going to risk your exam security. Absolutely. Uh, we've heard all sorts of horror stories over the years of, um, you know, not from our platform, but people who've been, you know, marking scripts or you know, scoring scripts have been leaving them on trains and, you know, those kind of things. So yeah, when it, it's the same with item writing, you, if you start scoring things out on paper or in Word, you know, what happens if that, that laptop gets left somewhere? Um, it's a whole bank, you know, potentially wasted. If they were reviewing, you know, a thousand of your items, you know, that could be a, a serious security breach. Uh, couldn't it? So, and in terms of the tracking side of things, Chris, you know, am I right in saying that you can, you've got great visibility of, of seeing how many items have been produced to date and there's an opportunity to stop and work with those, per, you know, the, with the, the SMEs on those items at periodic points. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's an important part of process that sits around this is the management of the bank, identifying how people are getting on with the items that you're hoping, expecting that they're going to work on during whatever period of time. So yeah, in, in Surpass, you can go in, see 
which items have been opened, like, you know, which have been reviewed and moved on by each user. So you can pinpoint, you know, if you need to check in with somebody, see if they're going to be able to um, kind of meet their quota or at least a proportion of it. You know, is there something that's blocking them? Like they maybe need some training or support, or is it just that they're so busy with day job and they, they swear they're going to get it done in time for the deadline, but at least you want that reassurance. So yeah, you get that transparency and visibility. I think another part of that is the fact that if you're not face-to-face, then you perhaps have to, you have to remain aware that a line of communication is at least reduced. So uh, to allow some other sort of channels for that, I mean, we've got things like being able to track the changes that are made uh, to items. So you kind of get your full audit history to see what users have been doing in there, as well as seeing kind of visibly what they've, you know, deleted, added, any inline comments. So it's just an extra thing we can do on the items themselves to allow people to have a conversation. Why have I made this change? Um, why do I disagree? So we've got another channel of communication without necessarily depending upon me picking up the phone or necessarily having to have a, a Skype call. We've got a record of that there and we can mm. then discuss that when we have our call. So um, yeah, I think we, we can't just ignore the process and the human factors here. You know, an IT system can take you so far. We can work out ways of um, trafficking data and exposing it to users but it's finding out a really the best way for an organization to map their process and their people to the system as well. So I think it's important that, you know, where people talk to us uh, to discuss a good way of applying the software. And one thing I'm looking forward to is seeing what ingenious ways people come up with of using Surpass because, you know, it's a new paradigm, you know, everyone's working remotely now. So seeing how the product will probably take a life of its own on as well and hearing some of those experiences because then that will help us to learn what works and what doesn't in this kind of new world. Yeah, you, well, there's a couple of really important points you made there. The UX side of things. I know the UX team, and we, we've recently, one of our team is, is now kind of leading the research on that, Kat Owens. Um, yeah, they will be following this process really closely to see how people are evolving the use of the technology for the evolving situation. Um, and they're excellent at being really responsive to that. And I think just going back to the other kind of point about um, yeah, the, the time this is going to take, if you're working with Word documents, et cetera, you're still left with the process of converting those you know, into your delivery format. And I suppose with Surpass, you're in a position where if once those items have been re- reviewed and they're ready to go, you know, there's no further steps involved. They are instantly published through to the test and you know, the test development cycle. So Amanda, is there any other kind of points you want to make on that side of things? or? Uh, just to Chris's point when he was talking about tracking and the individual comments um, and documentation about justifications, a lot of that um, kind of, it still is this sort of qualitative metadata that is included in the items is great for documentation purposes when either you are, if you're submitting for accreditation or your qualification um, and you are uh, with your regulatory agency, you need to justify why some decisions were made. If you ever have appeals or complaints processes that come through, you have this kind of paper trail that says, this is why this was done. And then it's justified. Um, and it's that type of information and detail that can be really lost if you try to do this sort of haphazardly. Um, not that you can't, but it takes a lot of time to be able to track all of that information, the qualitative and the quantitative metadata with those items that can just be easily, easily grasped with a platform. Excellent. And I think, you know, obviously people facing this, you know, a good port of call would be yourself, Amanda, to, to uh 
to get your take on it and also Nora as well, just to get your experiences on this uh, kind of process. So just in, just to wrap up really, kind of finally, what, what would you, what tips would you um, suggest people who are facing the idea of going virtual? What, what tips would you give to them now? Maybe Amanda, do you want to go first? You know, Sure. I, I'm afraid it might be some overlap with what we've already said. We've covered quite a bit. Um, I think it would be, again, to look at the big picture of what, I guess my tip for the current situation is to not just consider this like it's in a vacuum, that this is going to be a one-time thing and you're only going to need it in the short term. And so you're just going to try to like wing it for 50 items. Um, I would encourage you instead to look at the long term. As in, even when all of this is over and we're on the other side and you go back and you want to do some in-person item writing workshops, you can still use the platform that you engage now, like Surpass, and you can still use that platform after the workshop is over to track and review items and get the approval of subject matter experts and still document all of that. Um, and then it's all in a nice, neat little item bank for you. So I think now is the time. This is sort of the catalyst to push you in that direction if you haven't been there yet to use an item writing platform. Um, and again, don't look at it as just the short term. I think this is something that you could invest in now and use for the coming, all the coming item writing processes that you need to do. That's a good catalyst. Nora, anything else you want to add in terms of final tips? Yeah, I would reiterate what Amanda said, that obviously the most critical is to have your way to manage the process in place. Um, but in addition to that, I think you can do yourself a favor and, and build in some extra time and flexibility into your timeline, um, especially if this is the first time you're doing a virtual process, just so you can grant those SMEs more time if they need it um, without causing yourself too much stress or putting your deadlines in jeopardy. Um, also, make an effort to establish a connection to your SMEs at the beginning um, make sure they feel connected to the project and that they know how important the work is um, and also that you're available to them if they have any questions along the way. Um, it'll really help carry them through. Um, and then it also never hurts to have a few uh, backup SMEs as well. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you very much to everyone. That was, that was, that was brilliant. Um, some really, really useful tips there and information for people who are, who are facing this virtualization uh, process. Uh, thank you to my guests. Um, to the listeners, obviously, if you want more information about Surpass, then go to surpass.com. Uh, we'll include some information as well in the uh, summary for the blog post, uh, for the uh, podcast post, uh, and contact details as well. So if you want to find out a little bit more information from any of the guests on today's show, then uh, you'll be able to go there. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Thank you to my guests again. And uh, everyone stay safe and uh, let's all get through this together. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks, Tim. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast. To keep up to date with the latest information from our Surpass community, just visit surpass.com. And we'll be back with another podcast soon. Thank you for listening.